Hello, everyone, and welcome to the English Department podcast and another episode in our series of professor interviews. Today, we're joined by Professor Holly Painter. It's great to have them on, and we can't wait to ask them a couple of questions. Thanks for having me. So, first off, can you tell us a little bit about just who you are and the classes that you're teaching this semester? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, I'm Holly, and I use uh, she, her, or they, them pronouns. And this is my sixth year, I think, at UVM. And this semester is my second year teaching Harry Potter. I have three sections of TAP Harry Potter and two sections of English 40, which is topics in science fiction and fantasy. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to like teach a class on Harry Potter? And I'm assuming like it's not just like aimed towards English majors, but a very wide group of people. So like what inspired you to teach the class? And then also like, what do you hope that people get out of the class, even if they're not English majors? Sure. So I came up with the idea for the class a few years back when we were kind of brainstorming different classes that might, as you said, kind of appeal to people across the whole university. And I thought, you know, I'll bet people would really like a Harry Potter class. So I designed the class with the intention of, yeah, that kind of appeal. And we do read the entire Harry Potter series in one semester, which is nearly 4,000 pages. So it is quite an undertaking. But we also, it's not sort of just a book club. We do certainly spend a lot of time just arguing Harry Potter theories. But uh, I find that it's, it's a cool way to be able to take a text that students really like and teach all the normal skills that you would teach in an English class. So we can talk about close reading. We can talk about textual analysis. We can talk about bias and all kinds of different things, but using a text that students love. So for my purposes, it's fantastic because my students always do the reading. They've often done the reading like four times before, and they're ready with theories and really good critical analysis. So it's so much fun to teach, and it does appeal to students from whole, across the university. I, I actually, I don't have a ton of English majors in the class because it's just, I mean, they've got to fight with everybody else to get a spot in the Harry Potter class, which I 100% attribute to Harry Potter and not to myself. But it's also, it's an interesting class to teach because when I proposed it, it was... I guess it would have been about two years ago that I proposed it. And then summer 2020, when I was getting it ready for the first time, J.K. Rowling was like, I'm going to say a whole bunch of really controversial and offensive things. And I was like, hang on, I got to teach this class in a month. And you just made my job a lot harder. Not that she hadn't kind of been doing this before. And so the class has definitely taken that really head on. We have an assignment that's directly asking students to pick something in the text that's problematic and kind of read more about that from different kinds of articles, like peer-reviewed articles, podcasts, different things, because there's so much in there that is problematic. So a big part of the class is kind of figuring out how you can walk that line of really loving something and taking from it what is nourishing for you, and also being aware of the problems that it has. Yeah, that's great. How much of the class would you say is sort of spent on looking at the text of the book and sort of just treating Harry Potter as kind of just any other book that you would study in college? And how much of it is sort of, I guess, the cultural, almost political work that you would do with a sort of, you know, more popular text? And I guess I'm also curious about how, how does Harry Potter, you know, as a series of seven books, you know, how does, it, how does it stand up, I guess, in your, you know, professional opinion as kind of like, like a text that, that you would study, you know, in college? We definitely spend most of our time, I think, really with the text. It's hard because there's so much sort of extra textual and, and paratextual 
stuff around it from the tweets to Pottermore to kind of like franchising Warner Brothers, the, you know, Wizarding World, Harry Potter theme parks. It's just there's so much. Um, and because there's so much, I do often find myself being like, all right, let's get back to like, what does this book say? And even even just like the movies were we're occasionally being like, oh, well, this was represented in a different way in the movies. So I feel like that's all part of the conversation. But since this is an English class, I am always kind of trying to bring us back to the book. As far as the quality of the literature, that's kind of a difficult one. There are definitely areas where I feel like, so I also teach creative writing some years. There are areas where I can see Rowling really growing as an author throughout the series. She says, you know, these books grow with with readers and they start off in definitely more of a YA or middle grade genre and they get up to kind of closer to adult level. But I also feel like her actual writing ability has developed as she went. And so I think we kind of follow that sometimes and we'll in class be like, oh, well, she, you know, here was a point where there was a lot of exposition that maybe wasn't necessary. She really could have like shown rather than told here. So we're kind of critiquing her writing sometimes, too. But she writes some really like as a mystery writer, there's some really good stuff there. Um, she was a classics major. And so shout out to classics. Huge, huge shout out to classics <laughs> for real. All the illusions and the sort of like structural elements. Uh, so I think there's a lot there. We do a... Um, I know this is a this is not a visual medium, so I won't flash my copy of the book. But we do also read a companion book called Harry Potter and Beyond by Tyson Pugh, which looks at the different genres that she's drawing from. So the school story, fantasy, mystery, coming of age, kind of YA and morality tale and how those all kind of like contribute to the text. So I think there's a lot there. It's a really generative kind of kind of text. What's it like to teach such a modern text that there there has hasn't been such development of it as much as other texts that we might read? And then also like how how do you come at like a book that is so ingrained in like pop culture? And how how does that? Because I I've never really like studied a text besides we we did a book club on like Jane Austen. I've never really like studied a text that's so pop culture do you differentiate the way that you teach something that's very popular compared to something like medieval literature or something yeah i'm just wondering what's it like to engage with such a modern and popular text um, i mean it's definitely it's different i i was surprised at how much scholarship there is on harry potter considering how recent it is it's certainly not we're not at like Bale wolf levels but considering that people have only had you know kind of 20 years to get at it they have like there's there's dozens of uh, anthologies of critical essays. One of my assignments, I have students find their own Harry Potter article in the EBM library databases, and it has to be peer-reviewed. And there's hundreds and hundreds of them to choose from. So there's, in addition, that's just the sort of scholarly stuff. And then if you get into kind of like fan stuff, it's it's endless. Like, I feel like people have devoted so much time to um, thinking about it. But in terms of it being a kind of a popular text, I mean, I, it's mostly upside for me because, as I said, like students are really engaged and I love that. But we do often it is sometimes hard in class to like pull it back because, um, you know, I've got a student who wants to be like, oh, do you want to read my fan fiction about Harry Potter? And, you know, we're going to should we watch this this clip of, of Cedric arriving at the you know, just like and it can be it can be hard to sort of rein it in. But at the same time, I, I love it. You know, I love that students are so engaged. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very large question and feel free to just, just sort of take this however you want. But, um, you know, besides from the fact that, you know, Harry Potter is a massive cultural force and, a, you know, a very long entertaining piece of literature that a lot of people have, you know, read, I guess sort of as a professor, like, 
what is in Harry Potter for you and why do you, what makes it resonate? Why do you want to teach a class about it to, to freshmen? Well, I, I came a little bit late to this series, relatively speaking. I was one of those people who thought I was too cool for Harry Potter for a while. And so I was in college when I came around to Harry Potter. And actually, the seventh book came out the summer after I graduated. So I kind of read the whole series in that six-month period and never had to wait. And I loved the detail. I loved the world building. I think that it is one of those one of those pieces of literature where you feel like actually the world becomes bigger than the source text as though like we're just happening to look right at this point of the room. But if we were to look off to the left or the right, there'd be more. And I love that. I think that that's one of the real strengths of it. As a queer and non-binary reader, I also appreciate, and it's ironic to say this now with some of the recent stuff from J.K. Rowling, but the idea of there being a place for you that when you're a kid growing up you feel like you don't fit and then you find out that there was a place for you after all I feel like that's something that's strong sort of allegorically for someone like myself who kind of grew up in a very conservative environment and then you know got to college or got you know sort of got to grow up or got to go someplace that felt more like like a home and Harry's got his chosen family so I feel like the books in their way are kind of metaphorically very queer which I love. Wow yeah I I love that I actually yeah I mean I it's funny that you say that because I've also thought, you know, in my own time, I've read Harry Potter. I don't think I read it as a child, like up until the fifth book, and then I sort of dropped it. But it really is like, you know, her politics as of late are very aligned with the villain characters in the books. It's very interesting. Like, he, she, the Dolores Umbridge comparison has been made on Twitter, you know, like a million times already. Like, it's, it's very, it must be interesting to look at that in a context like of a classroom because it's, you know, if you do cultural, like, interpretation work of that, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. And in yeah. her characterization, she does a lot of really doubling down on that gender binary. And some of her coding of villainous characters is like, oh, they're not performing their gender in, a, in, a, in the way that the society rewards. Um, and I hate that that's her go-to coding of somebody who's suspicious. So we do talk about that while also thinking about why it is that it is so appealing to readers who allegorically see themselves in the text even though they don't see themselves literally except in these villainous depictions it's very it's very confusing we talk about it a lot well connor do you have anything else about harry potter you want to ask well yeah i guess speaking of like jk rowling like how, how do you teach them to like separate the author from the book but also how do you address jk rowling in the class good question i feel like it is it's like one of the big questions of our time, really, is what do you do with an artist whose art you want to keep, but you could do without the artist? And so we, you know, we talk about sort of the death of the author and the ways in which fans kind of take something beyond what they've been given. We talk about the idea that you can take from a text what is nourishing to you. We also, we sort of talk about the way that the books can be a kind of a training ground for thinking about the things that you passively absorbed as a child and giving them more critical thought. Because I think as people living in, in the U.S., for example, living you know in the time that we do, there's a lot of things that we passively absorbed as children that we want to look back on and think about them a bit more critically. But that doesn't mean that we necessarily reject them as a whole. So I think I think it's, it's got to be different for each reader. And I don't really have like I wish I had something I could just say to people and be like, don't worry. It's fine you love Harry Potter. I've got a really easy way for you to like settle that in your mind, but I don't I don't really have that. But I do have assignments so the students can think about it themselves. 
Yeah, I, I also, I find that very, you know, nourished. I'm taking Hamilton and Friends with um, Liz Fenton right now, who will hopefully be on the podcast at some point, no promises. But, this is my shout Liz, you should be on the podcast. For real, yeah, Liz. <laughs> this is, you know, I know you're listening right now, but, you know, it, it, I've had a very similar experience recently, you know, with basically re-looking at the story of the American Revolution, you know, from a college perspective, which is, you know, about as problematic as, as what J.K. Rowling has done. Um, <laughs> you know, or more so, you know, maybe, you know, it's just been very interesting to, you know, look at these figures that are so ingrained in your childhood imagination and, you know, read their correspondence, you know, in this case, but I would imagine it would be, you know, somewhat similar to look at some, like a Pete, like an artifact from your childhood that is fiction, right? And then reapply those lenses to that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I think, I think it's good for us. So I hope that students take that away and don't just simply say, well, you know, I love it. And so I'm just going to pretend this isn't here, but also not say, well, I guess we can't have anything nice because everything has something wrong with it. And I think that's part of kind of what college is for and sort of that maturation process of realizing the world is really gray and nuanced. Other than uh, Harry Potter, what other classes are you teaching? And then also what classes are you teaching in the future that people listening should look out for? So this semester, I'm all Harry Potter all the time. The moment I wake up, the moment I go to bed, just thinking about Harry Potter. But um, in the spring, I have a few sections of climate change and science fiction, which is a sustainability course. And I have a tap version of that. And then I have the English 40. And that's one where we use the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Each one is a lens for a different science fiction novel that are all set in various versions of dystopian climate and, and some non-dystopian. We got some a little bit of solar punk, which is sort of like, what if we didn't continue to trash our earth and we actually like made some progress in a good direction? So I've got that coming up in the spring. Other classes that I teach, I don't really know what's going on for next year, but I, I sometimes teach the intro to creative writing, which is English 53. I am a poet, so I particularly enjoy the poetry part of that. Let's see what else. I don't know what I'll be teaching sort of in the future. I teach English one sometimes, which is uh, the first year first year course, which ironically does not enroll English majors. And then I taught um, New Zealand and Australian literature and might teach that again someday. I would love to do that. I used to live in New Zealand, so I love teaching that class. Those are some of my potential future course offerings. I'm really interested in that. You, you said, uh, like, what, like solar punk or whatever? I've never heard of that before, and I find it really interesting. I've never heard of a sort of, like, utopian novel before that never read one i guess so can you just go into like a little bit more of what that is i guess <laughs> like why is that something important to teach like we're always constantly reading these dystopian stuff but why a utopian type book well so actually i i taught this course several times and i always used to teach just the dystopian sort of cautionary tales, kind of Scrooge on Christmas morning. We get to wake up after we read the novel and be like, wait, it's not too late. We can still do stuff. We can still turn it around. And that has a certain kind of motivation. I think that's good. I think we need the cautionary tales. But I was teaching the class in spring 2020. And when everything kind of shut down, I was like, you know what? I don't think we taught. I think we done. We did Oryx and Crake in sort of March 2020. And that's one about a worldwide plague. And so that was March 2020. And then the next one was Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. And that one's got sort of like societal breakdown. And I was like, you know what? I think we need to stop. This isn't probably causal, but we should just, just to make sure, we should just stop with these. 
So actually, the last book on the syllabus, I was like, I'm sorry, I know you bought this, but we're not going to read it. Instead, we're going to switch to Solarpunk for the second half of the semester. And Solarpunk is sort of saying that we don't just need the cautionary tales. We need the ones that give us a little bit of hope and not sort of sugarcoating anything. Just Solarpunk often is just like everything fell apart, but then we rebuilt it. So it, it talks about the sort of decline, but then it says it doesn't have to just stay that way. It doesn't have to be the end. We can see what comes next. And so Solarpunk often is the societies have not just started using renewable technologies like solar paneling kind of thing, but also have kind of reorganized their societies such that they are, you know, more equal, more fair, more sustainable in lots of different ways. Because a big part of the class is looking at not just the sort of technical side of sustainability, but looking at how our societies would have to be organized differently as well. And so Solarpunk is sort of like giving us a model of how that could work. And it's fairly new, which from the perspective of somebody trying to pick stuff for a reading list makes it hard because there's just not as much to choose from. Um, but it's increasingly, I think, becoming an area that people are writing in. And um, so I'm looking at some new stuff for the spring for that. Would you mind even just telling us like what the reading list for that class is like or what it is like right now? We still read Orcs and Craig and we still read Parable of the Star because those are both mm. great. I'm not 100% sure what we're going to do for the spring, but last spring when I taught it, we also did Blackfish City by Sam Miller, just set on sort of Arctic it's like a modified um, oil rig set in the Arctic, and that's like one of the last places you can live after all the water's risen, and, and then it's sort of this really unequal city, and it's got a lot of animals that have special powers. And then we also read The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders, which is set on a planet where one side is totally dark and one side has got way too much heat, and so everybody lives on this sort of like strip along where you can live. And again, a lot of inequality and just kind of societal strife. So those two were on the book list for last year. And then we do a number of short stories, which I'm still kind of figuring out what we're going to do. We've done uh, What It Means When a Man Falls from the Sky by Leslie Neka Arima, which is quite good. We also start the semester by reading The Great Derangement by Amitav Ghosh, which is a nonfiction sort of essay, series of essays that do a good job of relating climate change and sustainability to the humanities and really talk about the sort of mental shifts that we need to make on top of the technological shifts we need to make and how those have been influenced in the past by literature and by politics and by religion and how those might continue to interact in the future. Do you look at any kind of theory in that class or is it mostly just sort of just working with the text itself? Do you bring other articles in? Do you, you know, talk about speculative fiction maybe? What, what is it like sort of like working through that material? Oh, it's just a hodgepodge. Just, uh, just so many different kinds of text in that class. Um, the the Amitabh Ghosh text, the book of essays, does have a lot of theory in it and also deal a lot with post-colonial theory. We have some stuff about speculative fiction as well and kind of thinking through the different kinds of genres that exist within speculative fiction and as they relate to environmentalism. We also engage with the sustainable development goals, which have sort of their own literature around them. And then as we tackle each goal, students also read journalism. A lot of it's sort of the New York Times. They have a really good climate desk and looking at areas where climate change intersects with these sustainable development goals. So like as an example, clean water and sanitation is one of the goals. So how does that relate to climate and what does that look like in the news? So we have the sort of news stories. And then after we've talked about those, then we read the actual novel and kind of see where those things line up or don't line up or which ones are likely to happen in the future. So 
I think it's an interesting class, particularly as a tech class, where we're thinking about different kinds of text. Obviously, for any English student, this is an important skill, but looking at these different kinds of text and how, how they all, like what genre and context the authors are working in. Yeah. I have one more actual question. As I looked over at my shelf, and I, I have a massive, like, giant book of all the Earth Day books by Ursula K. Le Guin, which just got me thinking, you know, if you were to structure hypothetically, and from the, how busy the Harry Potter class sounds, I don't know if you would do this, but if you were to make another class, you know, sort of focusing on, you know, say like a seven book series, you know, young adult, the question is, if you were to, you know, make another class looking at, you know, just poplet or children's literature or young adult fiction, have you given any thought to another series that might be good? Or is Harry Potter just sort of like the ultimate book series to study? That's a great question. Well, so I, I will say this is a little bit not your question, but I'm going to answer my question first, then I'll answer your question. So um, last year when I first taught this class, you know, it was, it was fall 2020, a lot of kids, like actual kids, not like college kids, but kids' kids were not in school. And I had mentioned to a lot of friends that I was teaching this class, and they were like, oh, I wish my kid was old enough to be in college. They would love that class. So I ended up having a, on Teams, I ran a, like, shadow group for kids on Sunday nights where we talked about the Harry Potter series with a bunch of my friends' kids, like, around the country. And they were, like, ages, I don't know, 8 to 13. And so they read along with the college students. And then, uh, you know, we talk about, about the series. And it was amazing and lovely. And they were so earnest and wonderful. And we got to the end of the series. It was December. And I was like, all right, this has been fun. And they were sort of like, no, 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 we're not done. And so it's really hard to say, to say no to a 10-year-old who loves reading. So we ended up doing, I think, four more series. We read Keeper of the Lost Cities next, which is even longer. And that was sort of January to March. And then we read, I don't even remember, we read a series of young adult series. Um, and finally, in August, when I was, you know, just a few months ago, when I was getting ready to teach Harry Potter again, I said, yeah, I actually can't keep up doing Harry Potter and also reading a separate young adult series. Because we were knocking out like like an 800-page book in two weeks while I was also teaching you know other stuff. So I turned it over to the oldest kid in the group who was 13. And so she's still, they're reading A Wrinkle in Time um, right now. So they're still holding their Sunday night book group of these kids around the country. That That is adorable. <laughs> That's so good to hear. Wow. It was really fun. We did, I, I think I think we ended up reading 28 books over the course of the year. So I actually do have a lot of YA series that I'm familiar with now that were sort of not my childhood, but were, you know, sort of contemporaneous. But I think if I were to choose one more series, I would do His Dark Materials by Philip Pullman, which is not, I guess there's some prequels, but the actual series is actually only three books long. But I think that that one has a, a lot of really interesting things to talk about, religion and metaphysics and kind of the, the classic YA ethics kind of problems. And there's also, I think there's a HBO or something has a series now of that. So it'd be interesting to make some comparisons there. So that would be my pick for another YA series. Yeah, this has been really awesome. And so just wrapping up here, do you have anything that you want to plug or shout out or address that we haven't already talked about? I don't think so. It's been really fun talking with you, with you both. And I, I'd love to see people in my classes. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Take take any class with Holly Painter you, you see, you know, listed. It'll probably be pretty interesting. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to another episode. We will be back later with more professor interviews. Thanks again for Holly Painter for joining us. And um, have a great day. Thank you. Cool.